welcome to World Changers, a podcast exploring the trends making an enduring mark on our world of work and how business leaders, HR teams and internal communicators can stay one step ahead. Think about a leader you know and what springs to mind, leadership or loudership? Fortune favours the brave and in our age of influence, the person who shouts the loudest is often the one who gets listened to. After all, building a personal brand comes with certain expectations that a leader should be loud, proud and physically visible. But in 2020, those who thrive on communicating to crowded rooms had to step back behind the screen. It became clear just how little good leadership has to do with making a speech and how much it has to do with making a mark. So what does leadership look like now? As we face into a hybrid world of work, what will we want from the people in charge? And after a year of digital democratization, will we look to new voices to lead the way? Senior consultant Steph Finn chose this theme as her world changer for our 2021 report. Later in the episode, I chat with quiet leader coach Ian Wilkie to get his views. But before that, I joined Steph and Jeremy Petty, managing director of Scarlet Abbott, to explore how the quiet captain has emerged. Jess, Steph, thank you so much for joining me. It's a delight to have you here today. Thanks, Good to be here. Well, I think we couldn't do a podcast on leadership without talking about the pandemic and the leadership that has had to come to the fore. I mean, Jez, you have lived and breathed it as the person at the top making the really tough decisions here at Scarlet Abbott. Be brutal. Tell us how it's felt. <laughs> uh, honestly, exhausting in, in a word, but but also, you know, exhilarating and very rewarding as well. I think um, overall, the pandemic has been a, a massive catalyst for, for change in so many things in, in the world of work, you know, from remote working to devolved management to enforce trust in colleagues. And then for me personally, in leadership development, I'm very much a, a people person. So not being physically close to colleagues, whether in meetings or just, you know, in and about the office, that's meant it's been much harder to, to read the room or to know how, how individuals were. And I think in a, in a highly successful and high performing business like ours, that creates real risk. You know, you have to create new ways of staying connected with your team to keep you both accessible uh, to them as a team, but also to support them and, and manage the workload as it comes in from a well-being point of view. I think we've all felt the needs of that support this year and also actually I've really felt supported by you it's it's been it's been a really really tough year and actually having that kind of open and honest leadership and and putting your hand up and saying it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to get stuff wrong it's okay to be tired it's been really refreshing and a good thing to do thanks that's that's good to hear that feedback and I think uh, you know that is it is a challenge in terms of wanting to make yourself accessible to the team as often as possible but also retaining some objectivity and in order to be able to make, you know, ultimately tough decisions, which we have had to make throughout 2020, and, and that's just part of the job. But getting that balance right can, can be tricky. And also that, you know, that, that natural empathy that hopefully you'd agree I have for colleagues, you know, not allowing that to take over and distract from, you know, having to, as I say, make those, you know, tricky and, and strategic tough decisions in the, in the business's best interests. So I think, to be honest, communication is key to all of that, you know, with my fellow directors, with the leadership team and then with the whole business. And, and you know, to create the right cadence and the right channels to enable us all to communicate uh, was something that we had to get right from right from lockdown, you know, back in March 2020 from, from the very first day. And we're a tiny business, right, of about 50 people. And getting that right for us was, was a challenge. So imagine, you know, the challenge for our clients who have tens of thousands of people suddenly having to do that. You know, that's not lost on me how difficult that would have been for, for leaders of much, much larger businesses. 
No. And Steph, you lead a smaller team within Scarlet Abbott. I mean, what's your experience been leading remotely? Yeah, I mean, I would echo what um, what Jez said, really. It has been a massive challenge. And I think it's not just because of remote working, but because of the situation that the people we're working with and leading because of the situation that they're going through. As individuals, we've all had to really navigate such difficult times and that's just been a massive struggle. It, it's not like we've been leading a remote team of people that are all on their A-game and are having an easy time. We've had lots of people going through really difficult circumstances and life-changing events, people going off on mat leave, even the new starter process. I actually onboarded, as you know, completely remotely. Um, and I actually realised it's my one year anniversary today which has just been the craziest year (laughs) so yeah it has been it has been a challenge and I think for me personally as well it's been difficult to keep enough visibility and be there for the team and have the right tools in place to be able to see what's happening and support people where I need to and like Jess said being approachable whilst also having time to do my own work too has been a challenge. Would either of you describe as a quiet leader would you say that you are one? Yeah, I I would say I am a a quiet quiet person, quiet leader. And yeah, I think there are benefits and challenges that come with that. But yes, definitely I I would say that I am. Tell us about some of the benefits. What are the strengths you bring as a quiet leader? I think in terms of the strengths, I really observe what's going on. So I think sometimes the assumption can be if you're not vocal in a meeting or in a discussion that you're potentially maybe more passive or or shy but really I'm just taking it all in I'm really listening to what people are saying taking it all in and I'm very perceptive and I think that's meant I can really I've really been able to get to know my team as individuals on a, on a deeper level and know what they need from me and I, I think that comes with being quieter I, I have a bit more space to listen and learn and understand. Nice Jess what about you? I think the name is really interesting because I think quiet evokes potentially negative connotations or what might be seen as traditionally negative attributes for a leader, you know, withdrawn or uncomfortable in company or shy. And I think on the flip side, you could view quiet as, you know, calm, confident, unruffled, measured in a crisis, all good qualities uh, in a leader, I'm sure would agree. And then, you know, I started thinking about, well, what's the opposite of that? And and I know you talk about leadership as a, as a kind of leadership style. And, and that might be characterised as a, as a noisy leader, you know, brash, impulsive uh, on one hand, but then also maybe inspirational and motivational on, on the other. And I think the truth is there needs to be a balance. I'd like to think I've got a balance between the two, because I think if you're more naturally inclined to be kind of either quiet or loud in those kind of opposites, then you have to find, you have to develop skills in the other area. So I don't think I would describe myself as a, as a quiet leader necessarily, but that said, I'm, I know that I'm risk averse by nature. I like to take my time to consider the right path in decision making. I'm usually, not always, calm in terms of how I work with people. So in that sense, it might sound like I fit the description of a traditional kind of quiet leader. But I think it's important to say that that comes from confidence rather from a shyness. And I mean confidence in the business and in the team and in the people that we have as well as in myself. But I think, you know, COVID, again, as I say, being a catalyst for everything, it's also a situation where it's important to have an, an edge or a rallying cry as a leader, I think. And, and having that in your armour is really, really important, especially in a crisis. But for me, there's a really clear distinction about it's not about volume. It's about timing and it's about authenticity. 
Um, and it's that that gives you impact, I think, rather than volume itself. And I think, you know, you have to have built your reputation for any kind of rallying cry or edge that you have as a leader to to not sound insincere or not sound like it's really you. And so I think, you know, in, in building that reputation, that for me is about consistency, right? You have to be known for what you stand for and what you believe in so that your team trust you on that. And that takes time to develop that. But once you have it, then your edge can be in asking questions like, look, guys, you, you know what my standards are and what I expect in this area. So do you think this is good enough? And that has real power. It's not about shouting, but it can create real impact in terms of your team understanding what, what you need and expect from them in, in any given situation. Sorry, that was a long answer. I always give long answers. Sorry. <laughs> No, it's great. I, I like the asking questions approach. I should have uh, I should have said that to my mum when I was growing up, you know, when she was telling me off, like, stop shouting and start asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like, ask better questions is one of the one of the kind of fundamentals and foundations of this business that, that we want, as you well know, both of you. And, and I think as a leader, that's super important as well. It's not always telling, it's, it's listening, right? And, uh, you know, one of my old MD's favourite phrase was two ears for a reason, right? And one mouth listen more than you speak and you'll you'll be a much better leader and I think that's really a truism. Is it about quiet versus loud or introversion versus extroversion and it I think for me it's more about those defining characteristics around the things that Jez just mentioned listening empathy kindness compassion and and leading I guess with what we've seen more of in the pandemic more authenticity and bringing your whole self to work as a leader. Everybody's seen, you know, we're talking to Jez now as our MD, but he's in his dining room <laughs> and we've seen more of that. Um, and I think that's what people are looking for in leaders, those attributes, whether they do it quietly or loudly. <laughs> Well, I am, I am interested in what you see in the broader world, whether that's with clients or, you know, with world leaders. Who's been and shone out as a great example of quiet leadership? And, and conversely, who's struggled to find any traction with loudership? Jacinda Ardern, we talked about her in the World Changes Report. She, I think, is an excellent example of quiet leadership. And again, not quiet like Jez was saying, in terms of volume, but in terms of her quiet determination and that confidence and her leadership approach. She's led people through a crisis really successfully. But when she talks about it, she talks about people acting together and she's thanked her team of 5 million people. Um, and she herself, I think, has revealed she suffers from imposter syndrome and she shared that with the world and the people that she leads. So she's She's got humility, and I think that's what people are looking for in their leaders. And she has shown authenticity. She's really honest about the challenges that she faces, the tough decisions that she has to make, and her genuine concerns. And Jacinda Ardern, as far as I know from reading, she actually identifies as an extrovert. So it's, again, not quiet versus loud or introversion, extroversion. She is an, an extrovert and says that, her preference is a collaborative leadership style. So again, going back to asking questions, involving others, understanding different people's point of views and, and bringing that into her decision-making. And I think that's key. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> what a great example. I think that's fantastic. And, and I think it's difficult to look past politics, right, in terms of leadership because it, they're so visible. And it'd be very easy for me to talk about Barack Obama and question, you know, is it, would he be classed as a loud leader or a quiet leader? Obviously, I think he's kind of got the best of everything to a certain degree and God, how we miss him, right? But I'll, I'll turn to business in terms of my kind of inspiration. And I think, 
James Timpson is someone that I've always really admired. He's led Timpsons for over, I think, 20-odd years now as chief executive and, and helped grow that business to over 2,000 shops and outlets in a period of time where we know that the high street is suffering immeasurably in terms of its role in society. And he's grown the business by placing its culture at the heart of its growth. And I, and I think that's really inspiring in terms of the way that he views people within his organisation and its culture as the enabler of growth rather than the other way around. I, I don't know him, you know, clearly, not personally. And his public profile is relatively quiet, I'd say. But for someone to have grown a business in that way, uh, for me, is, is really inspiring. And then conversely, you know, I, I also take inspiration from the often knocked entrepreneur Richard Branson, because I think in his early days, he channeled that loud or loudership, certainly, you know, the crazy PR stunts and stuff. And he was incredibly entrepreneurial and brave in terms of, you know, his businesses failed many times and he, and he kept going. But I think what I admire about him is once he built a successful brand and business, he he recognized that the focus should be his colleagues because they deliver the, the experience that their customers enjoy. And he was happy to take a back seat and focus on making sure he had a, a, an organization where people were valued massively and rewarded. And, uh, and again, I think that's, that's inspiring in terms of his ability to adapt his own style for the benefit of the business. So, um, yeah, they'd be key figures of inspiration for me. Mm, I'm a big fan of both. Have you ever seen, I mean, it's so easy to go, like you said, just back to the world of politics, but have you ever seen people struggling to find traction with loudership, right? You just see some of these people blustering away, you know, like pissing into the wind, frankly. They're not saying anything, but they're, they're certainly doing a lot of yapping and uh, it doesn't get you anywhere. And not only that, I think it, it really loses respect. You know, it's it's just a classic way to fail, actually, is talk a lot and say nothing. That's authenticity as well, isn't it? If you feel like someone's just blustering their way to, to kind of make noise, people just see through that straight away. I think we're all increasingly savvy in terms of our comms experience and our expectation and demanding as well, right? So in other leaders as well as in ourselves, we have a demanding audience. Uh, so it's not easy. But yeah, I think you're right. I think people see through that straight away. And I want to talk a little bit about teams, actually, because we've we've become absolutely reliant on it as a business in the pandemic, and I'm sure lots of other businesses have. But collaboration platforms have really allowed us to level the playing field and let those quieter voices come to the fore. I, I know in our agency there's some people who, you know, rarely speak in public, but are absolute teams demons. It makes me laugh so much. <laughs> um, as, as we start to come out of the pandemic, how do you think we can encourage those personalities that we found to keep out there and keep talking? It's a really good question, Elle. And, and you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge, I think. I think you're right, you know, that we just couldn't have predicted how the whole of society for all the, the world of workers had to kind of pivot, to use that horrible word of 2020, uh, to the world of remote working, right? And and you're right, you know, in our own business, as you guys know, we have the daily kind of production, mini pro, as we call it, at the start of the day. And, you know, traditionally, in, back in 2019, that would be a face-to-face -face event in York and our satellite offices would dial in. And practically, it was hard for them. You know, it was hard for them to kind of get connected. It was hard for them to feel part of the team, certainly an equal part of the team. It was literally hard for them to get their voice heard when they're trying to contribute to the meeting. And that's completely changed, you know. And, and Steph, I know you're in one of the hub offices, so... So you'll have experienced this, but but in, through Teams, it's completely democratised it, right? So everyone has equal voice, everyone has equal opportunity to contribute. 
And I think, you know, that might be something that even when we're back in the office, we, we continue to do to give it that equality uh, and opportunity for people to contribute. You know, that's only a tiny little practical point, but I, but I think it's an important one. And the challenge will be how else do we, you know, create those opportunities for those quieter people in the business to contribute and to feel part of it and to have a voice. Because as you say, El, you know, we've seen over the last year, even if it's in gifts, <laughs> some people are more comfortable in the world of gifts than in actually speaking, but they're still present. They're still contributing. They're still part of the conversation. You still feel connected. And, and I think, you know, it's going to be really important that we still enable that across the business. Yeah, I think so. I'd, I'd echo that. I think it's it's really important to value contribution over participation. And some people love teams and you see, you've already mentioned the gifts, the likes, replying to every thread, sharing ideas on every brainstorm. And, and that's amazing. But I think it's important to know how to get the best contribution from the people in your team, the people that you work with. So creating space for those that like to you know, share ideas in maybe a, a smaller group or one-on-one, looking at different channels and ways you can get the best out of people. Um, and some of that will be teams and big, bigger threads and some of it will be smaller conversations. And I think both are okay. So I think a good last question to finish up with, and I'd love to hear both your opinions on this, is what do we want from the people in charge? And has it changed? We've seen behind the curtain, we've seen into leaders' lives, and we've seen kind of other parts of their identity and the roles they play in their lives outside of work. Their fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, everything in between. And I think that we, we can't go backwards from there. We have to see the whole self show up to work with that vulnerability that comes with that and that openness and, and authenticity. And I, I don't know whether it's changed, whether that's new or whether it's just made it more accessible. And we've now realised that that's what we want. But I think we'll need to see more of that. I couldn't agree more. I think vulnerability is such an important quality in a leader. And I know even just from having conversations with my team around me, and I'm certainly not a leader, but opening up and making yourself vulnerable is incredibly hard to do. But it's so powerful because it just, it lets other people in. Exactly. I think it's not about having all the answers or being right. It's being committed to finding the best answer or the best solution to a problem, whatever that might look like. And you putting your hand up and saying, oh, I I don't actually know, but I will find out. I think that's the important thing. It's it's so much about how you show up, not what you do necessarily. I would echo everything Steph says. She's absolutely nailed it, to be honest. But I, I was trying to think about how, how has that changed? Because the second part of the question was, has that changed over the years, Elle? And I think... I think it has. And when you think back to kind of what Web 2.0 did for brands in terms of creating so much transparency in large organizations, right? So, you know, 50, 60 years ago, as an organization, you could have an external brand and product or service, which you could market, and that you had control over that. And, and then what happened kind of behind the scenes was, was, was kind of hidden, right, in terms of an organization. And Web 2.0 changed all of that. Everything became very transparent about what your organization was like to work for. You might make great products, but, but what's it like inside your organization? And that became a huge challenge for businesses. And so they have this, this whole level of kind of transparency, which would be very uncomfortable for some, but, but less so for others. And I think it's taken time, but now we see that in leadership as well. It was a natural progression to now that leaders in large organizations, in small organizations have to be transparent. You know, there's, there's no hiding place for brands or for individuals leading those brands. And 
And that's that's a challenge, um, certainly for, for some, because, you know, that's a huge responsibility. You have to be, be true to who you are. And, and as you say, it's not always easy to open up and as a leader to show vulnerability or maybe to, to admit that you're having a bad day is is counterintuitive, you know, and, and, and people will worry, well, if, if I do that, then that's giving permission for everyone else to have a bad day or maybe not perform to their optimum. So that can't be can't be good for the business, can it? And I think those are ongoing tensions, I think, that, that leaders are grappling with in terms of that. And but but to Steph's point, I think the appetite in the world is for that empathy and for that openness and it's valued way more than it ever ever was previously, I think. So um I'm not saying it's easy and, and that leaders in, in the generic term are, are there yet, but I think that's the direction that we're going in. And all the support and help and coaching that you can get to, to help get you there would be hugely valuable. Can I sneak in a risky personal question? Why do you both lead? That's a really good question, right? I've not actually thought about that previously. So, so to give you an honest answer, it's not been a something I've learned to want to do. It's just kind of happened. It's, it's evolved in terms of my career, I suppose, and in terms of my confidence of how my career has uh, progressed and with that has come responsibility and marry that with a with a natural kind of uh, I'd hope people would agree um, empathy and warmth with people and, and liking working with people and being a people-centered person I think it's just evolved over time and it's no kind of aspiration for world domination it's it's that I, I enjoy I get a real kick out of leading and seeing teams come together and work brilliantly it's, it's as simple as that really for me. Yeah, I think for me, it's not necessarily something I set out intentionally to do, to to lead. I've just found myself here over the years. Um, but I naturally like working with a team of people, working with individuals and figuring out how to get the most out of, out of their potential and removing barriers um, and supporting people. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah, nothing more to it than that, really. I think you've both made the point about job satisfaction through other people, though, which is so interesting to me because I guess for me, I can only ever drive my own job satisfaction um, because I don't need it. It's, it's in my own gift. Whereas you've both said what gives you a kick is other people getting stuff right and doing amazing work. So interesting. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think you, you have to kind of get out of the way of the people that are brilliant in the organisation and create an environment for them to flourish. And it sounds a bit cheesy saying it like that, but... But genuinely, that, I see that as my job, right? As a, as a leader of this micro business, and it's a, it's a tiny business, it's to create an environment where everyone else can do a fantastic job, because then that will be that means I'm doing my job well, right? And and it's and it's it's difficult for leaders sometimes because you're thinking, okay, where am I adding most value here? Because maybe I'm not going out and winning work, I'm not actually delivering the work, and I'm not maybe directly managing a, a, a team other than kind of you know the leadership team. But you have to re- remind yourself and have the confidence that if you create an environment where everyone else can perform fantastically, then that is reflective of your role as a leader, right? And if you don't get it right, then you'll soon find out about it as well. Beautiful words to end on. Thank you so much. Thanks. Lovely. Thanks for the invite. Quiet leadership is something Ian Wilkie now campaigns about. A former senior partner at EY, Ian rose to the challenge as a leader with a stutter and became a successful role model for others to look up to. Now a quiet leadership coach and mentor, Ian helps quieter voices thrive in a business world designed by extroverts. Alongside his leadership coaching, Ian is also the founder of 50 Million Voices, a global charity that is transforming a working world for people who stutter. So welcome Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, it's great to be here, thank you. 
Great. Um, well, I know you're a passionate advocate for supporting and amplifying quieter voices. How has this past year really impacted more introverted personalities? Well, it's been a difficult year for everybody. You know, both extroverts and introverts are social animals. And, you know, whilst introverts, we like to spend time alone. I think we, you can spend too much time alone and that can, that can become loneliness and all the issues that can flow from that, in, including mental health challenges. So, you know, whilst I know introverts who say they're loving more time alone and away from the noisy office environment, I also know many quieter people who really struggled, particularly as the lockdowns have gone on and on and on, you know, and here we are 12 months later. I think from a working perspective, um, there's partly the avalanche of virtual meetings, which I think, you know, I, I take a positive view on. I think that's been an opportunity for quieter people to reflect on how can our voices be heard more. Um, you know, I think I think just the, the technology, um, especially the mute button, <laughs> gives an opportunity actually to make meetings more democratic, you know, not to just have noisier people dominating the the airspace. Um, I think, you know, time working um, remotely um, is often less interrupted time. Um, and, and that's good for introverts in, in that we like thinking time and we like to think more deeply. Um, and I think it's also been good just to, just to have that time um, that time for reflection as well. So on balance, I think from a working perspective, for many introverts, it's actually been quite positive, notwithstanding all the other challenges of the last 12 months. I agree with you. And I think the power of the mute button <laughs> is, you know, the host of the meeting is in a really powerful position to mute those noisy people who sometimes don't let introverted voices speak up. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and, and I think there's also, you know, features like, you know, the web chat and, you know, which I think give an, another channel for people to contribute. Um, and, and, and I think, uh, you know, if people have the, the cameras on, then, then again, we are, we are visible and we're as, as visible as anybody else. So, again, I think that's an opportunity to, you know, to raise the hand, whether it's physically or virtually. So I, th I think it is, an, it, you know, it, it is an opportunity to, you know, to have our voices and our opinions and our views and what we have to contribute um, much louder in the room than they've perhaps been in the past. And I suppose as we start to move back to this more hybrid or blended working model where you'll get some people back in the office, some people working more from home, what do businesses need to consider to help those more introverted types so that their voices aren't lost again? I, I think I see this as an opportunity and, 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 and a risk, really. You know, I, th I think the risk is that for, for in the hybrid model, that office space is seen very much for group activity, you know, brainstorming and training events and social networking. And that's great, but actually, you know, up to 40-50% of workforces are typically quieter, introverted. And people perform best when we feel like we belong, whether we're introvert or extrovert. So I think, you know, the opportunity is to acknowledge that, that, that by creating workspaces that are playing to the more outgoing people, actually there's a danger of alienating people who are quieter. So really interesting, as a coaching, I'm in a coaching community called, called Sherwood, and we ran a session recently on the return to work, and I ran a little part of that on quiet leadership, and just asked people, um, you know, what words would they describe 
about as they think about the return to the office. And it was really interesting that the room was very split. About 30 people on, on this little straw poll. About half of them were using words like excited, can't wait. And the other half were using words like frightened and dreading it. And it was it was very interesting. And I, and I think, you know, the, the, the opportunity for employers is to create a workspace environment where all those people feel that they belong. And, and because then we truly perform well and we truly play to our strengths. Um, so, yeah, so I, th- I think that's, that's what's needed as we move to this hybrid working model. Other, otherwise, I think, um, you know, the, what quieter people have to offer risks being drowned out. I couldn't agree more. And I know we've talked a little bit before about the physical office space and actually how just because you're quiet doesn't mean that you don't thrive with the hubbub of noise around you. Okay, silent working space is fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean locking somebody in the broom cupboard just because they're quiet. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Um, You know, broom cupboard's for brooms, isn't it? It's not for quiet people. And, um, you know, I think think once, you know, I I think hopefully we've learned that you know, what quieter people do have to offer is a real strength in terms of depth of thinking. And, and that often needs quietness to bubble up. And so, you know, organisations that are using silent meetings, where actually part of the meeting is specifically allocated to being quiet, whether that might be more pragmatic about people reading the papers to ensure they have read the papers beforehand, or actually just sitting and reflecting and looking out the window or wherever so that those really deep and, and smart ideas can rise to the surface. Love that. Well, quiet leaders leave space for their words to hold more weight, but while there's strength in that quiet confidence, I think there's a risk that comes when that's read as aloof. Uh, too little communication creates a void in which doubt and information thrive. And so I see people can really play their part in bringing quiet leaders out of the shadows and into the moment where it matters. Um, where do you see quiet leaders at their best? You know, this is about inclusive leadership, I think, and, and, and I think we're all we're all accountable for that, no matter our position in the organisation. You know, I think I would encourage people to have conversations about difference, whether that's you know this introvert extrovert dynamic we're sort of touching on here, or whether it's all sorts of differences. Uh, clearly, have those in a respectful way. So, but I think I see everybody. <laughs> we're at our best when we play to our strengths. You know, and, and that needs a culture and an environment that is um, encouraging of that, encouraging of difference and, and respectful of difference. But, you know, I think where I see quiet leaders at, at, at their best or at our best is, again, you know, playing to strengths. So strengths around deep thinking, um, which lead to better answers, which may lead to better strategies and better outcomes. You know, um, I think respectful listening is is such a skill, such an underrated skill, that again leads to better answers, but it also leads to, I think, the development of really great relationships. Because if we feel somebody's truly listened to us and heard us, we kind of, I don't know, I think we gravitate towards them and we feel more more seen, more heard. And at the core of all business, I think, are two or three really key things, which are you know, trusting relationships, good strategy and great values and if and if we're listened to i think we build those trusting relationships better uh, we understand what people's values are and we're more likely to have a good strategy and i think the other real strength of, of of quieter people is around care and empathy 
these are general points, you know, but care and empathy. And again, you know, if if we treat people with care and empathy and we ourselves are treated with care and empathy, we build better teams. So, you know, I, I can remember I was sort of invited to the uh, an, an event at one of the global banks last year um, on International Disabilities Day, in fact, 2019, December 2019. And the group chief executive was there and he was asked, what are the main qualities you need to be a successful chief executive? And he said... The number one quality he's learned over time is to really work on his listening because he can't possibly have all the answers, but he can he can listen, he can share his viewpoint, he can listen and make introductions, whether that's with inside the bank or outside the bank. So he really saw listening as being his number one skill and actually working with people in that bank, they say that wasn't just something he said on the stage, he really is like that. So I think, you know, I think that's where I see quiet leaders at their best, you know, respectful listening, deep thinking, care and empathy. And that was certainly my experience in my career that when things went wrong, which inevitably they did, having those trusting relationships built on one to one time listening um, in an empathetic way, I think really paid off, really paid off in, in terms of digging ourselves out of difficult situations because <laughs> they happen, you know, it's a fact. <laughs> It's true. And there's nothing like a meeting where you can tell that somebody in that meeting is trying to rush things through. And and perhaps you just feel like, I can't, I can't speak, but I've got a point to make. Um, it, it's crushing, actually. It is crushing, because I think we feel diminished by it, you know, and I think when you feel diminished, that is um, really, there's something very uncomfortable inside when that happens. You know, I, th- I think where quiet leaders where we're not at our best is where we feel where we're trying to be extroverts you know and I think you know this is what I hear from a lot of my coaching clients is they feel the need to pretend to be extroverts if they're going to be heard or if they're going to get that next promotion and so that's why I sort of think there's there's a really big conversation needed here around well you know what are the different styles that people bring and and when we're individually at our best enough or when the team's at its best and it isn't an either it shouldn't be an either or that a certain behavioral style should dominate um because it's in everybody's interest that we all perform at our best and and um you know for 80 percent of the airtime to be dominated by 20 percent of the people it's bad for business, you know, if we cut to the chase. It's also rude, it's also disrespectful. So it's bad for teams, it's bad for trusting relationships, and it's bad for getting the best answers. Mm, couldn't agree more. Um, and so much of your work centres not only around those quiet voices, but also supporting colleagues of different abilities. What are the lessons that have come out of the remote working world for how we support and amplify their voices? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, for, well, I know, we all know that for people with disabilities, it's been an incredibly tough year. A a, a large proportion of people have died from COVID-19, have had disabilities or long-term health conditions, and and some of society's short-term knee-jerk responses have have also been very um, damaging for people with disabilities. So, for example, as, as bars and restaurants have moved their tables and chairs out onto pavements and been encouraged to do that by by the authorities that's really terrible if you are wheelchair dependent and you know can no longer get down your local high street or if you're visually impaired so you know just one of many examples where the the knee-jerk reaction has been very negative for people with disabilities 
Uh, having said that, you know, I think what the what the homeworking has shown is that it is possible to do our jobs very well um, remotely and, and also flexibly in terms of time. So where people have been denied opportunities and denied promotions because of perhaps their physical inability to travel um, or actually just not being able to c commit to regular hours because they really don't know whether tomorrow they're going to be going to be able to leap out of bed full of beans or actually be in so much pain they can't get out of bed for another two days. So I think what the pandemic has shown us all is that let's cut away from these excuses about why we're not employing more disabled people or people with you know differences such as being on the autism spectrum or dyslexic or speech disfluencies, whatever deaf and hard of hearing, visual, all these issues, uh, long-term illness, because I think it's shown, yeah, people can work well from home and we can work with flexible hours. And again, if people feel like they belong, they will do great work. So I think in that way, it's, it's been positive. And there's also been quite a shift as disability has started to get on to the main board agenda around diversity inclusion. Um, and so we've seen you know, great work by particularly you know, the Valuable 500 in, in, in getting disability onto the main board and the Business Disability Forum, where um, I'm a trustee, where many more organisations are, are joining because they want to know how they can be smart around recruiting and enabling people with disabilities to, to really thrive at work. And, and I should also add Purple Space to that, which is a, it helps people build um, purple networks, in other words, networks for people with disability and long-term health conditions. You know, those those organisations are doing really well, and, and I quite rightly so, and I'd like to sort of mention 50 Million Voices, you know, it's an organisation which I founded just a couple of years ago where we work with employers to help people who, who stutter um, have get a job and have thriving careers. And we have leaders in 16 countries now, and we're just about to run three different virtual uh, practice interview events in English, French and Spanish, you know, well, to come from nowhere to doing that in two years. I'm really proud of that. And it but it just shows that employers, the more enlightened employers are interested in recognising that, wow, there's a lot of talent out there that we've been missing up until now. You should be so proud of that. What an achievement, Ian. Amazing work. Amazing. I can't believe you're doing it in trilingual <laughs> languages. <laughs> I'm not doing it trilingual, but I have such great leaders, you know, that they're um they're 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 taking it trilingual you know this is the wonderful thing i think you know if you, if you have a great team around you people you trust people you have a shared passion shared vision with you know together you can achieve great things you don't you, there's only so far you get on your own you know it, it is about um people with a shared commitment and passion and, and um i'm so lucky to have you know to met to have found these people because they are they're real leaders you know Wow. Well, thinking about people then, um, who's making the biggest impact in the world of work right now? Who would you nominate as your 2021 world changer? Well, I think that chair's empty at the moment. I really do. You know, I think um, we're going through such a transformation um, in the world of work and, and in, in other ways. Um, and I really do think, um, you know, that the biggest issue is the climate emergency. And and what I really hope is that out of well this year and out of COP twenty six, you know the big, um, the the big event towards the end of the year, that a leadership group will emerge from that. And I think you know and it, and I would 
suggests that at the at the head of that's going to be a quiet leader, but I might be wrong. But I, I think that's the opportunity. I think that chair or those chairs are empty at the moment. We really need leadership in that space. And I think, you know, for me, that, that would be the, the big 2021 world changer. Inspiring stuff. Ian, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope I hope our listeners get a lot out of this because you've got a lot of a lot of things to say. Uh, fantastic. Thanks very much, Shell. Thanks very much for listening as well. Thank you. Thank you. Our huge thanks to our contributors. And if this episode got you wondering how best to support the quieter leaders in your organisation, do come and chat to us over on Twitter at Scarlett Abbott or drop us an email at hello at scarlettabbott.co.uk. We'll see you next time for another dive into World Changers 2021. World Changers is a podcast by employee engagement consultancy Scarlett Abbott, hosted by L. Bradley Cox. Find out more at scarlettabbott.co.uk.